0: This is Ideas Worth Exploring by Mark MacDonald. Today we're talking chemistry. One definition of chemistry is the study of chemicals. But what's a chemical? A pure chemical is a substance that's only made of one molecule. But what's a molecule? A molecule is a group of atoms bonded together. But what's an atom? That's what I'm going to explain today. But first we have to go back to where all great science starts with an explanation of Aristotle's ideas and why they're wrong. Aristotle, like the ancient Greeks before him, believed the earth was made of four elements air, water, earth, and fire, as well as a fifth element that was a heavenly substance called ether. The ancient Greeks believed that the properties of materials came from their composition of different elements. For example, wood was hard because it contained a lot of earth, and peppers were spicy because they contained a lot of fire and beans gave you gas because they contained a lot of air. I might have made the last one up. But by the 1800s, chemists had a different idea of what elements were. If you take a substance, think a lump of rock or a balloon full of gas, and do everything you can to purify it, eventually you're left with a single pure component that cannot be broken down any further. These pure components, or elements, can be thought of as giving giving things their properties in the same way as the ancient elements did. But the difference is that instead of only four or five, we have over a hundred different elements. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen and oxygen, and nitrogen and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, and this keeps going. So we've talked about elements. But what does this have to do with atoms? The idea of atoms has also been around since the ancient Greeks. A guy named Democritus, who definitely wore a toga, said that if you take a leaf and break it in pieces, then break those pieces in pieces, then break those pieces into more pieces, then you will eventually get to a piece that is so small that it can't be broken anymore. The Greek word for this was atomos, meaning uncuttable, and that's where we get our word for atom from. Everything around you is made of atoms. Never trust an atom, they make up everything. Iron? It's made of iron atoms. Gold? It's made of gold atoms. Water? It's made of hydrogen and oxygen atoms in a ratio of 2 to 1. That's why the chemical formula of water is H2O, or two hydrogens bonded to an oxygen atom. Groups of atoms bonded together like this, called molecules, can get pretty complicated. In fact, a protein molecule can be made of more than 500,000 atoms, but that's not even the biggest molecule. In 2019, a Swiss lab made a molecule called PG5, which was made of 17 million atoms. So, atoms are the basic building blocks of matter, but they can bond together to form molecules like water and proteins and sugar and chemicals. But we later found out that atoms are not uncuttable, as previously thought. These smallest building blocks of matter are actually made of smaller particles. A man named J.J. Thompson won a Nobel Prize for discovering the first subatomic particle, the electron. But before we get into that, let's ask a different question first. Why bother talking about atoms at all? If you can break them up into something smaller, shouldn't we just talk about the smaller thing? Nope, because atoms correspond to the elements that we talked about earlier. Talking about elements, which are each made of a single type of atom, is much more useful to a chemist than going a level deeper and talking about subatomic particles. That's one of the basic rules of science. Don't go any deeper than you have to. You can explain a ball rolling down a hill without having to talk about all the molecules and atoms it's made of. In that case, talking about atoms would just confuse people. So it's extremely useful to talk about chemistry in terms of atoms. But sometimes it's also useful to talk about subatomic particles. So I'll get off this tangent and then back to our story. JJ Thompson discovered that all atoms contain negatively charged particles called electrons. He used a device called a Crookes tube which was a glass tube with all the air sucked out of it and electrodes placed on either end. In such a tube, the negative electrode, or cathode, would do something that caused part of the tube to glow green or blue. Researchers called that something cathode rays and were very interested in them. The whole thing culminated when J.J. J. Thompson measured the mass of a cathode ray and found that they were over a thousand times lighter than the lightest atom. He had found the first subatomic particle, the negatively charged electron. He won a Nobel prize for it. Later came Ernest Rutherford, who discovered that all atoms also had a positively charged particle called a proton. He also discovered that the pro- positive protons were all concentrated in the center of the atom in a blob called the nucleus, and the electrons flew around outside the nucleus. He won a Nobel prize for that. Later, A man named James Chadwick discovered that the nucleus also contains an uncharged particle called the neutron. He also won a Nobel Prize. Electron, proton, and neutron, these are the three subatomic particles that we care about. The proton, proton is positive, and the neutron, neutron is neutral. Hang out in the center of an atom in a tight bunch called the nucleus. The electron, electron is negative, orbits around the nucleus. If the atom is the size of a football stadium, then the nucleus is a green pea sitting in the center of the stadium. The rest of the stadium is almost all empty space, except for the tiny, tiny electrons floating around in it. Yep, the vast majority of any solid object is just empty space. Weird. So, if all the atoms are made of protons and neutrons with electrons floating around them, what is the distinguishing factor that makes one atom be copper and another atom be silver? Is it the size of the atom? The shape? The weight? The composition? I'm sorry, you'll have to wait to learn the answer, because it's time to talk about a certain weird Russian chemist. If you look at a picture of Dmitry Ivanovich Mendeleev, his most striking feature is his large bushy beard that makes him look like Rasputin. Mendeleev lived much earlier than most of the other scientists I've just talked about. He was born in dreary Siberia in 1834. His father went blind and died when he was young. His mother lived long enough to get him enrolled at a good school in St. Petersburg, then she passed away as well. He went on to become one of the greatest chemists Russia has ever known. Around Mendeleev's time, people had been discovering new elements every couple of years. What Mendeleev did was show that the properties of elements followed a pattern according to their weight. For example, pure lithium explodes if you put it in water. A heavier element, sodium, also explodes if you put it in water. And an even heavier element, potassium, also explodes if you put it in water. But the elements with weights in between them don't do that. The property of exploding in water appears to be periodic. The property repeats after every eight elements. Mendeleev wasn't the first one to discover this periodicity, but he was the first to arrange the elements into a periodic table that resembles the one we use today, so he generally gets the credit for it. He also used the pattern to predict the existence of several new elements, and some of his predicted elements were later discovered, which greatly helped this case. But why? Why do the elemental properties repeat after every eighth element? The answer is related to the question we asked a minute ago that you just barely forgot about. The question was, what makes one atom different from another? And the answer to that question is... protons. Let me explain. The lightest element is hydrogen. It has one proton. The next lightest element is helium. It has two protons. The next lightest element is lithium. It has three protons. And that's not a coincidence. Protons are the deciding factor that distinguishes one element from another. To be an iron atom, you must have exactly 26 protons. And any atom with exactly 26 protons is an iron atom. It works like a definition. And the reason protons are so important is electric charge. Remember that protons are positively charged. A neutral atom, or an atom with no net electric charge, must have the same number of electrons as protons to balance out that charge. So iron, with 26 protons in the nucleus, also has 26 electrons orbiting around it. The properties of an atom, how it interacts with other chemicals, depend on the electrons. The protons and the neutrons are locked away in the nucleus so it has to be the electrons that interact to do anything interesting. So now that we know that the type of atom is defined by the number of protons and that adding a proton means you also have to add an electron, we can answer our other question. Why do the properties of atoms repeat after eight atoms? It's because the electrons are more stable when they're in a group of eight, which is known as the octet rule. The element lithium has one loose electron hanging around, and the element that comes eight places after it, sodium, also um, has a group of eight, a stable group of eight, as well as one extra loose electron. The single loose electron is what makes both elements so explosive. But what's so special about the number eight? The short answer is that it has to do with quantum mechanics. You might be tempted to stop there and just say that things happen because quantum we're not squared of quantum mechanics, and we're going to go a little deeper. Quantum mechanics tells us that electrons behave as waves. The shape of the wave depends on things such as the energy of the electron. The lowest energy wave is shaped like a sphere, we call it the s orbital, and only two electrons can fit in it. Why can't you fit more? Because quantum. The next lowest energy wave is shaped like a dumbbell, and six electrons can fit in it. There's some more complexity we could explore here, but the takeaway is that you can fit eight electrons in these two orbitals. Two in the s orbital and six into the p orbitals. After that, you have to repeat and fill the next s orbital, which is a big jump in energy. So we say that if the two s orbitals and the six p orbitals are full, then the atom has a complete outer shell and is very stable. In fact, the atoms that naturally have a full outer shell such as neon and argon, are called noble gases, and they used to be called inert gases because it's so hard to get them to react with anything. They like themselves just the way they are. Other atoms like to share electrons so they can pretend to have a full outer shell. For example, hydrogen has an extra electron and oxygen is missing two electrons, so two hydrogens and an oxygen get together and form H2O so that each atom can pretend to have a full outer shell. So. Back to the periodic table. The periodic table makes it easy to visualize how the outer electron shells of atoms correspond to their physical properties. The periodic table is arranged so that each column, or period, has similar elements, because each element in the period has the same number of electrons in the outer shell. Looking at a periodic table, you see two columns on the left, which have electrons that fill the two s orbitals then a gap and six more columns on the right, which are the six p orbitals. But what's with the gap in the middle? It has to do with some more quantum. There are even more orbitals called d orbitals and f orbitals, but I won't go into them any further here. Even with the extra orbitals, the rule still applies that elements in the same column have the same number of free electrons, and therefore similar physical properties. An example, copper, silver, and gold are all in the same column, and those are the three elements that conduct electricity the best. Chlorine, fluorine, and bromine are all in the same column, and they are all poisonous gases. I've already mentioned that lithium, sodium, and potassium all explode in water, and that helium, neon, and argon are all gases that don't like to react with anything, so there's two more examples. Mendeleev used his periodic table to predict properties of three elements not discovered yet, gallium, scandium, and germanium, Uh, and they turned out to exist. Now almost all elements have been discovered, but the ones that might be left are too radioactive to be stable for more than a couple of seconds. But the periodic table is still an incredibly useful tool. Like I mentioned before, knowing the number of electrons in the outer shell of an element helps you predict chemical reactions. There's no way you can memorize every chemical reaction to ever exist. But you don't have to, because you can look at a periodic table and say, oh, sodium metal will react with chlorine gas to form sodium chloride. It'll also cause an explosion, but you'll be left with ordinary table salt. With just a couple of hours of practice and a periodic table, you would be able to predict chemical reactions like a pro. And if you went back in time, people would think you were a super genius. Well, we've talked about a lot of things today. Atoms, electrons, weird Russian chemists. Interesting fact about Mendeleev, he married a woman who he ended up hating, but the church wouldn't let him get divorced, so they went their separate ways. Then Mendeleev ended up marrying another girl. So technically, he was married to two women, which was illegal, but he got special permission from the Tsar, so he wouldn't go to jail. We talked about the periodic table and what makes it periodic. Because quantum! And S and P orbitals, too and we talked about how looking at the periodic table can help you predict chemical reactions. Before we go, here's one last fact about atoms. A speck of dust is the halfway point between the size of an atom and the size of the Earth. That's just how small atoms are, or if you prefer, that's just how big the Earth is. I hope you've learned something today. Come back next month for some more science. Peace. This has been Ideas Worth Exploring by Mark McDonald.